Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Dr. Cubitt. We're going beyond the barn. Come join us on this journey as we bust equine and livestock nutrition myths and interview some of the most intriguing experts in the country. We'll go behind the scenes of how premium Western quality forage is grown and brought to your favorite farm and ranch retail store. We're so glad you're here. We have a very special guest today on this episode of the Beyond the Barn podcast, and I am so excited to have you guys all meet and get to know our Stanley Premium Western Forages founder and original innovator, Mike Stanley. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thank you, Katie. I look forward to it. This is going to be a really fun conversation. Um, We're really excited to dig in a little bit and get to know the man, the myth, and the legend of Stanley. So first of all, why don't you just tell us a little bit about growing up and farming with your dad and grandpa? Well, just uh, growing up with, you know, my dad and grandpa around stuck, you know, they really didn't directly farm. You know, they came from Missouri back in the late 40s and uh, just started doing a little bit of a custom work, which was swathing hay and a few things. And then, you know, my dad was the oldest of seven siblings. And so, you know, they grew up real, real poor. You know, I remember, you know, they had no running water. Um, You know, the outhouses was out back. So, you know, we kind of grew up where... You know, we had a real tight family, but there wasn't a whole lot of, I mean, it was just, we just really brought up poor, but a great family. It was always about the family. Um, You know, I remember dad, you know, starting out with some trucks and started to haul hay. And then, uh, you know, with the side loaders out in the hay field and where everything was manually done back in those days. And then grandpa would run around and swath hay for by the acre, I remember. And then dad eventually started getting getting into the custom farming, started doing some hay, and he got a real big job up in Kilgore, Idaho. And so okay. I grew up spending all all of our summers, me and my my brother and, and my sisters and my youngest brother, we practically lived in Kilgore, Idaho while we was growing up. You know, I remember he'd done, done all the hay. He had, he had cut it, bell it, stack it with side loaders, and then haul it to either Hamer, Idaho, or Dillon, Montana. And I remember we'd have tents and bunk houses, and me and my brother, I had a brother that was 11 months older than me. His name was Lan. And so we grew up in tents through the summer, getting up with the hay crews, doing whatever it took to to get the day's work done. So how old were you when you were doing that? Well, I started in the hayfield, like when I was five years old, my brother was six years old. And I remember like we used to go out in the field and my mom would even help us. You know, we'd row like two rows. That's when the hay bells was two string and they is a lot lighter. But being five and six years old, it was still one of us couldn't tip the bells over, but we'd row two rows into one. And, and then the side loaders with the trucks with the side loaders would come through and pick the hay bells up 
and stack them by hand and then haul them into the stackyards. But I remember it took me and my brother both together to row the bells into one. And, you know, to be real honest, I look back at it and I kind of laugh, but because the only good thing that, you know, being five years old, of course, but the only good thing that I remember was my mom packing really good lunches with hot soup. That's good. She was a she was a good farm mom and farm wife. She was out there helping you guys, but made sure you guys were fed too. Oh yeah. She'd help us row the bells together and everything. She's one tough mother for sure. That's amazing. I love that there's talk even these days about farm wives and you're more than just a farm wife. You really are a person that keeps everything going in the home. And then when it's needed, you get out there and, you know, you drive truck. If you need to drive truck, you get in the swather, baler, whatever it takes to it's a family business, right? It is. Yeah. Everybody just pitches in wherever you need to be and just to get the job done at the end of the day. That's amazing. So did you always think that you'd grow up to be a farmer and then business owner? As a kid, what did you dream of when you grew up? Well, you know, whenever I was going to school and stuff, you know, I had an older brother that was real dominant and, and my dad was real, real dominant too. And, and it was like, you know, they'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and it was like, they was ready to go and get the work done. I was a middle child. So I just kind of followed him around to be honest yeah. about it. Yeah. And that works with the middle kids. Well, it does, you know, cause you kind of get pushed in your corner all the time and stuff. So I just kind of followed around and hung out and done whatever they expected me to do to survive, you know? So, so did you always figure that you'd end up being a farmer as your career when you got older? Um, you know, I really didn't know for sure where I was going to fit in in life. Growing up through high school, I wasn't the best, you know, I was popular and everything, but I was real good in athletes, but I wasn't the very best student because I got Mm -hmm. bored real easy. So, so I really didn't know where life was going to take me at the time. But then, you know, after you experience things and and, you know, out of high school, I, I went on and done some concrete work and, and got experienced a little bit there. So, no, I, I didn't know where life was going to take me. Yeah. Well, and that's always how it works, too. I feel like you kind of got to test the waters a little bit. Sometimes you don't always know maybe what you want to do, but you test things out to find out what you don't want to do. <laughs> and then maybe you get a better feel for what path you kind of end up um, getting led down. So you ended up starting what was originally Stanley Hay Company in 1981. It's had a few name changes since um, we, you know, most commonly go by Stanley Premium Western Forage now. But with our offerings of products beyond just forage products, it's Stanley Premium Products. But what influenced your decision to start your own farm when you did? Because you, you and Wendy have the best story. Um, you really didn't have much when you started. Yeah, it, it kind of started out, you know, me and my brother, which is 11 months older than me, we, we started selling a little bit of hay back east to the racetracks, thoroughbred industry, and started seeing, both of us started seeing some opportunity there. But the problem was we'd be buying the hay from farmers and the hay wouldn't be consistent. So we, we'd have to listen to all the complaints. And, and so, you know, it made us 
figure out quickly what we needed to do to to stop the complaints and to be able to grow and maintain a good business practice. So me and my brother actually moved to uh, Bruno, Idaho together and partnered on a 2,000 acre farm two years before, I think it was 1979. And I I was just just married, just had one kid. And so we picked up our families and moved to Bruno, Idaho, which is out in the middle of nowhere. And we started farming hay and you know, from there, you know, we started belling hay, shipping it back east. Everything was going pretty good, but me and my brother couldn't get along because we was, you know, young and that's just the way it works sometimes. And so we broke up that partnership and I walked out of there and I told Len that he could just, you know, basically have have the deal there, you know, the farm and business there in uh, Bruno, Idaho. And, and I told him that I just wanted to have my work pickup and and an old beat up swather and uh, $900, which that's what we was getting monthly at that time, $900 for our salary to live on. So I took $900 and told my brother, if he loses money, why don't come and ask me to pay my half. And if he makes money, just don't tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> so back to Hazleton, me and my wife and my one son, came and uh that's where we started stanley western well it's changed its name but stanley hay company but anyway then i i went to the bank and borrowed nine thousand dollars for a 1969 red peterbilt truck and started just hauling hay for hire and then my back went out and so i hired my first driver which is the best thing that ever happened I didn't realize it at the time, but it happened to be the best thing that ever happened because it motivated me to to uh, get smarter and and uh, a line work in front of the truck to keep everybody going. So so then I got in my '69 Ford pickup and I went to Nevada, and I actually lived in my pickup because I couldn't afford a hotel room. So I lived in it for I think it was five or six days. I, I know where every ranch is in the state of Nevada. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe where there's ranches out in the middle of nowhere that you would never know it driving by, but I practically know where every ranch is and tried to sell hay and came back not selling one bell of hay and a little bit discouraged, but I was determined. And, and so I just wrote out, you know, I was back where we didn't have computers, of course. <laughs> right. So I just wrote out on a calendar to call all the people that I met at least once a week until they either bought a truckload of hay from me or told me to basically go to hell. So that, that was my <laughs> goal. And so I started calling and then eventually after about, oh, I don't know, it was probably seven to 10 days, one of the most famous ranches down there called the Maggie Creek Ranch. Um, the manager there ordered 2,000 ton of hay from me. It pays to be persistent. Then. Yes, it does. Back in that day, 2,000 ton was a lot of hay. So, right. So we started delivering that. And then, uh, you know, the Maggie Creek Ranch started getting the word out that that my word was good and I do what I say I'm going to do. And then from there, we had two trucks to three trucks to five trucks running in there seven days a week. 
That's awesome. Um, and some some people may not realize this before this interview, but Stanley is in fact a family owned company, and it's still very much family oriented in terms of our values. But then also in terms of you know how many Stanley family members have been involved and in, in a part of this company over the years. But even within our values and how it involves our Stanley employees. How have some of the Stanley employees impacted your life? Um, there's been several employees that's, you know, been special to our family. It's like, you know, a lot of them, you know, actually became family to us, you know. And right. I, I look back in the beginning days where, you know, I started out with, you know, like my first truck driver was was Richard Kill and just a blue collar, hardworking guy and, and before long, it was his sons working for me. And then one that really sticks out close to my heart's Paul Crumrine. And, you know, he, he just, our families, I've always been a big believer of hardcore blue collar workers, you know, cause that's what build America. And that's, that's basically what we had to do at Stanley to get it off and running. And Paul was a big part of that always with a smile out there with me day and night, whatever it took to get things done. You know, then we progress forward and Chris Ito come into the export adventure and, you know, helped us out there a lot, getting established and branded into the export. And then, of course, uh, you know, Bob Buckley, which, uh, you know, we lost lost him here right. recently, but uh, he was a big part of my life. I, you know, me and him traveled all over building the retail business in the, in the farm and ranch retail stores. And, you know, I just got a lot of memories with him out there too. And that's, and that's so amazing to hear of these people that really started out as employees and became family. I feel like that's what working for a company should feel like when you're going to work every day, because you know that the people that you're working for really care for you and care for you beyond just coming in and giving you your paycheck, but caring about what's going on in their family's lives and all of that. And so all of those people you mentioned, they're, they're such great people. And I know that they really impacted this company in big ways, huge stepping stones for where the Stanley company is today. And so that's great. And your family, so more of, I guess we would call it your immediate family, has played a huge role in Stanley Premium Western Forge as well. Why was it important to you that your wife and kids were involved from the very beginning and in everything that you did? Um, just, just the way I was brought up, you know, my dad always had us out in the hayfield working and, you know, he always believed if you teach your kids how to work hard and be survivors way basically didn't matter what happened you'd still survive no matter how bad things got and just having that work ethic you know just carried on to the next generation and i was going to make sure that as a parent you know i taught my kids how to work and survive and be independent and uh you know hopefully we we achieve that i can tell you and one thing they all moved out real quick <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? I think that means that you did your job well, though. You taught them how to, like you said, survive and be independent, right? So I think that means that you and Wendy did really uh, a wonderful job with your kids. So what is, um, what is your favorite memory that you have with your kids growing up farming with you? Do you have a few memories that kind of stick out to you? Um, pro probably the memory of uh, Dusty. He worked really hard, just 
his responsibilities with stacking all the hay. So he'd be out all night trying to stay up with the, with the balers. And he, you know, Dusty always loved the hay business. I mean, I never, ever had to like force him to go to work. He wanted to be out there, you know, and, and whenever you have a kid like that, why, you know, it's special, especially when, when you go to the next generation and, and turn it down to, to that generation. It's real important that they, they love what they do and stuff. But my biggest memory probably is, you know, Dusty, you know, I didn't really realize how hard he is working because all of us just, that's what we done, you know. And then he wrote a poem at school, you know, with the sun coming up early in the mornings in the hay fields. And he talked about, you know, as the coolest poem, I'd, I don't have it with me, but, um, you know, he just talked about fighting to stay awake and the sun's rising in the hay field. And, and then, uh, you know, he just talked about, uh, you know, his dad being his hero. And, you know, that just mm-hmm. means a lot to be able to work with your kid like that. And they believe in what you've taught them. And it's like, you don't have to force them to do anything. It's their life too. Yeah. That's, that had to have been a really, really impactful moment for you. Just knowing that he had such a positive outlook on working and doing all of that. Cause I know, and it's kind of, it depends on the kid, but there are kids that grow up in the rural lifestyle that sometimes they live and breathe it so much that it's what they want to live and breathe the rest of their lives. And then there's some that it's just not really their calling and they want to maybe get out and do something new. But to be able to have a child that kind of it resonates so well with them as they grow up and then to call you your uh, his hero, too, that had to be that had to be a pretty special moment. Yeah, kind of, kind of emotional because, you know, whenever you grow up and work with your kids and stuff, you know, sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do with, with family right. and everything, especially through the transition of, of, you know, Dusty, you know, he went to college and then college wasn't for him. He wanted to come back and start working his way into management. And, you know, you start that and then going from just running a stacker and a baler into managing people and getting right. people's respect. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, a serious, uh, difference in, in your responsibilities. And, you know, we had some learning curves, but you know, he was tough enough to survive his tough dad, you know, some days. So he toughened through and learned what he needed to do. And he learned his own style of managing, which is a little bit different than mine, but it works and that's all that matters. Right. And that's awesome. And I love that perspective that you have on that, that even though his management style is different than yours, that you acknowledge that and it works for him. And I think that's great as um, a family business, because I mean, you probably know as good or as, you know, better than anybody else, how sometimes how difficult it can be running family businesses, you know, often when it comes to especially production, agriculture, whether it be farming, ranching or whatnot, family businesses are so hard. And sometimes it's just hard with so many competing people just really wanting the best for the family business and everything. And so that's amazing. And for those that maybe aren't aware, Dusty uh, actually made a transition. What was that, Mike? Probably about like six, five or six years ago or so. You retired and he moved into the the CEO position. Isn't that right? Yeah. Six years yeah. ago. That is correct. Yeah. And so obviously 
all those years of hard work and everything have paid off into to where we're at now. And so lucky for our listeners, we're actually going to get an opportunity to chat with Dusty a little bit later down the road on a different episode too. So that'll be fun. But um, another kind of intriguing moment for me is, and this is me obviously just learning about the history of Stanley and, you know, where you guys started from and where if you where you've come through all these years, but your youngest Kayla was your inspiration when Stanley originally launched our small animal product line. And so tell us more about the need that you saw there and how she inspired that brand. Um, Kayla, she, she was the one, she is like, shoot, I think like 10 years younger than our, than our oldest daughter. So she kind of grew up in a different era, but she had a couple of a brother and sister that kind of mentored her along and you know how younger ones grow up a little faster than, right. than the older ones do. do sometimes cause they got older people around them. But, but Kayla was always the animal lover. You know, she always had goats. She'd always bring, she found this goat. Uh, actually it was tied to Dusty's, uh, stacker wagon. So here she brings this goat home. And then before long she had geese and the geese would attack you when you'd come home. And it was real annoying, but she was Her just own a little security. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And then she had ducks and then she got into the horses and was doing rodeo and stuff like that. So, and she always had a big personality and she always loved animals so you know and then she got nicknamed joe so you know me and bob buckley we just kind of thought well you know let's create this small animal brand and we'll call it jojo's best and so that's kind of where that came from that's that's cute that's a fun story um Tell me, and, and I know that you talked about this a little bit when you worked with your brother earlier on about doing some business on the East Coast and everything. And so I'm, I'm interested to know, how did you even get involved with going beyond just local? Like you talked about when you kind of went out on your own and, you know, we're dealing in Nevada and everything, but the East Coast is a whole nother ball game. What was the moment that you realized that there was a greater opportunity than basically your backyard. Um, well, you know, we was doing a lot of business with, you know, when, once my trucks was going real good in Nevada and things started clicking and we started making some profits, why then we just kept growing, using all of our profits just to continue growing the business. So then we started doing some buying the hay on the stump, which you just buy it from the farmer and then you go in and cut it okay. and bell it and then stack it. And then you pay him so much for that, but you own the hay and then you start just doing the marketing back East and stuff. And then, you know, I, I teamed up at, at very early on because, you know, it's hard to grow a business with $900 and to be able to do everything you want to do. So you got to be, you kind of got to pick and choose what you're best at and then utilize other people to get you where you need to go where they're good at and and I teamed up early on with Jim at Western Hay Company and he basically you know was doing all the marketing back east and then we'd do all the supply of hay on this end and we kind of grew together these two huge companies and then uh, we ended up getting into the retail business and kind of the awe moment of Stanley was the farm and ranch retail industry so whenever I seen the opportunity that you know, no one was taking care of a market there that was just open, you know, that Perina basically done 
70 years ago, you know, in the grain-based products and where forage is more important to the animal's health than than just grain anyway. Why it just made sense to, you know, focus on farm and ranch retail. And, you know, that's when I met Bob and brought him in just to put all the focus on the farm and ranch retail. And then, you know, our mission was, you know, it's pretty simple, really. Um, You know, I was surprised someone didn't see it ahead ahead of me. I seen it years earlier, but I didn't have the right person in place until I met Bob. And plus, you know, to have enough finances to be able to to survive it because it's not easy to build a brand and, you know, start being profitable right, right out of the, you know, just starting out and stuff. So, so, you know, our mission was, you know, just to provide consistent high quality forage year round with assured supply and then make it so easy for the retail customers that, that they'd want to do business, you know, with Stanley. And then we became a one-stop shop to provide you know, like several different forage products with several SKUs that could be shipped on on one truckload because all the retail stores, it was like oh, these hay companies would only have like one SKU. So, so the retail stores have to order 22 or 24 pallets of one SKU. And then, right. then it created a storage problem on their end. So all we done is just created several different products in one facility and then they could order up to, I don't know how many we got now, but up to 60 or 70 SKUs, different pallets, and they could mix and match on a truck to be shipped out. And then we also put a lot of focus, our mission was put a lot of focus on the forage products to be retail shelf ready, mm-hmm. you know, to be displayed next to like the Perina brand or, or whatever to where it could set on the retail store on a shelf and stuff and not mess up the store with a bunch of uh, hay dust and leaves. And that's where the the grab-and-go probably came into play. Exactly. Yeah, that's something that we recently got a patent on, which is awesome. But that was such a great opportunity that you saw in the market and the need in the market. And look at where it's grown to be today. It's amazing, Mike. Yeah, it's it's been exciting 40, 40 years and not one dull moment for, for nobody that's been part of it. Yeah. So... Give me an example of uh, maybe a challenge that you had to overcome as you were growing Stanley Hay Company. And what what was that challenge and how did you overcome it? Um, probably the one that sticks out most, probably steady supply of forage. You know, once you start supplying the retail industry, it's not like you can supply them seven months out of the year or you're just not going to be able to grow right. a sustaining business. So, you know, we had to make sure on this, on the Idaho end where we manufacture, we grow it, manufacture it. Got to make sure that we got a assured supply of, of top quality forage for our customers. You know, we started running into some problems you know, it's almost like our market was growing so fast. And, you know, I had farmers that I was buying the hay from, but we was getting squeezed tighter and tighter because, you know, the dairies was buying hay and and we needed the hay and it become like they knew we needed the hay. So the prices just started getting higher and higher. And for us to to be able to grow our market steady and everything continue growing, you know, we decided to start purchasing some farms and renting some farms and try to keep our product about 50% in-house farmed and 50% purchased outside just to protect our supply chain. 
And then probably the next biggest challenge was probably logistics. Cause you know, whenever you got products in all, all the States inside the United States, you know, it's not easy to pull hundreds and thousands of trucks out of Idaho. Right. So we had to go lease our own fleet of, of rail cars and set up place in Lexington, Kentucky, Hagerstown, Maryland, Florida. And I think Dusty and Scott's got, got a few other locations now. But anyway, everything's on rail. We got 120 plus rail cars that ship all the Stanley forage from Idaho to all of our other locations, our warehouses, and then we distribute it out to the retail customers from there. And then probably the the next more difficult, which I guess are all difficult. I I shouldn't say difficult. I should just say opportunities, I guess. But the the other one was was probably the financing is is difficult. You know, it's hard to take $900 and grow a company into what Stanley is today and stay ahead of stay ahead of all the challenges of financing and stuff. But you know, we've been able to do it and it's exciting and couldn't have done it with all the great people that's involved. Right. Well, and I think that what you mentioned earlier about, especially early on when you had hurt your back and you had to hire somebody out to drive truck for you and rely on somebody else was probably, you know, the greatest blessing. It's weird how sometimes things don't always seem like they're working out, but sometimes they're blessings in disguise because it, it they're like teachable moments. And it almost seems like instead of you getting in there and driving truck, when you could hire somebody else to do that for you, it gave you the opportunity to go out and start talking to people and networking and getting your name out there and everything. And it almost sounds like that's something that you've done your whole life in business. And it's, you know, even if you don't have a lot of money starting out, if you're willing to see where things can take you, if you're willing to see down the road and look more long-term than always just short-term, I think that helps a lot. No, I totally agree. And, and just like you said, you know, you, you start, you know, hiring people where their strong points are and, and, you know, it's amazing what you can do. It's not like one person's strong at every little thing in a company. So, you know, once you get going, you start learning because, you know, I mean, I had to learn from the beginning, just Mm -hmm. trial and error. And once you get good people coming on and you say, wow, they're, they're smarter in that area than you. So it just, you know, it just helps you grow the business better and stuff. And then it also gives you opportunity to where, you know, sometimes you can, you know, as an owner, you can get down in the weeds too much and not see all the opportunities out and about. And once I started getting out of Idaho, well, then that's when my mind just started opening up my vision and just started seeing things in a totally different aspect of life and opportunities and, and everything. It was, it was quite amazing experience. You know, and I had a conversation probably a couple months ago with somebody saying the same exact thing. It's amazing the opportunities that kind of come to you when you go outside your little bubble. So I think there's something to be said for that. So that's awesome. Um, When did you first look into exporting hay products? And was it challenging getting into the export market at that time? Um, yeah, I mean, we done a little exporting with through third parties and stuff, but you're never going to grow a, a brand and, you know, a model of business by using too much third parties. It's right. kind of like an avenue to get started. But, you know, in the, 
uh, I think it was like 1990 is when I ordered my first Big Bell Press from mm. Mosley out of Texas. I remember it very clear. I remember this. I'd made the deal with the CEO of the company, a great guy, and, and they brought it. So I ordered it in 1990. It might have been 91, I you know, within a year there. But anyway, they, they was building it, and they was just getting ready to ship it out to our facility and and uh, get everything hooked up to start processing Big Bell Hay, which would have been the the first or the second, or there was only two Big Bell presses in the hay industry at the time, and and both of them was put in within like six months. So I don't know if I was the first one in or the second, but I know I was one or the other that was into the market. And is what it was is just a a garbage press, one of those big garbage presses, and and I worked with Mosley and just remodified it to to fit the forage industry. And then I ordered it, and the plan was, you know, my brother stayed in Bruno, and and he was actually doing a little marketing international a lot more than what I was at the time, and I was doing a lot more. East, I had a lot more of the market going east and stuff, and and so we decided that he would do all the marketing on the international part of things because of his contacts, and then and then I would do the east coast with the dairy industry, and then I so I had the press ordered and everything. I was going to order the press, but we'd do all international through him. We'd do all the the east through my company, and then 1992, he, him, and his wife got in a car wreck, and both of them uh, tragically passed away at the accident. So, so here I, you know, I had the, I had the press and everything, and, and then I lost my brother. So, you know, I had a hard time there for a little bit, but, you know, we we kind of adjusted and and figured it all out, and everything worked out okay, but. With a few adjustments, that's one thing with business. I mean, you just never know what's going to happen along the way, so you just got to be able to adjust with things quickly just to survive certain things. But getting back to the international part, after we got the bell press going, why everything was going really good, we was shipping a lot of hay back east to the dairy industry and everything. And then I wanted to, with with Len not being here, it kind of put a little stall in our international part of it. So I was looking for a, a person to come in and help us with the international aspect. And I'm real cautious on, you know, just certain values and integrity and, and loyalty and stuff. You know, I just, I, I want to make sure it's the right person. And then I met Chris Ito and then, you know, just a great guy. And he come in and I just felt like I could trust him and he would be loyal to the company and everything. And this is like many, many, many years later, he's still with us, by the way. I know. I think that's so amazing. And I love that. And then he, he helped us develop because, you know, he come from actually, Nissan and one of his best buddies was he's doing a lot of export business anyway and one of his best buddies actually went on to be the I think it was the president of of Nissan so yeah so anyway Chris come with us and we started you know just probably the quickest company to develop our markers markets international as anybody because he was just you know he just knew what he was doing so he helped out a lot but Japan Taiwan Korea and then me and Chris worked the Middle East together because it is an up-and-coming market, 
me and Chris traveled out there and we was actually one of the first ones into the Middle East market. Sold a lot of hay in in the dairy and the horse industry in the Middle East, like, you know, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, right. Oman to Qatar, um, sold some in Kuwait. So yeah, he was a big, uh, big part of growing the international part of it. That's great. It's amazing that um, we can have such steadfast employees like that, too, that he was the one that kind of came in at, at a time where it was needed, and he's still here. And that's pretty amazing. Um, let's turn things around just a touch. Who in your life has been your greatest inspiration? And tell me a little bit more about them and why they've been inspiring to you. Mm, wow. Um, probably I got to say my dad first, even though me and my dad didn't get along whenever I was growing up in high school much, but I learned uh, to understand and respect him a lot, just the way he taught me and my brothers and my sisters how to, how to work hard and, you know, always do the right thing in life. Even if it costs you money, you still got to do the right thing. And, and I just got all the respect in the world for my dad for that. And then probably second would probably be my brother, Len, you know, cause you know, he is 11 months older than me, even though we fought like cats and dogs growing up, but he he was a big, big influence in my life. Cause you know, whenever we moved to Bruno, you know, like I told my wife, I said, you know, sometimes the toughest years in your life, you learn the most out of, you know, when things go good, you're really not learning that much, but when things are tough, you know, I just think you learn more. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes. You have to learn to be scrappy. Exactly. And so, yeah. you know, just the experience that I had in Bruno and and around my brother and my dad, I think that that's kind of got me where I'm at today, to be honest with you. Good. Those are two great role models, and they've, they've both taught you a lot. I think it's been pretty ingrained in um, the Stanley values that still hold fast today. Um, so that's that's great to see kind of where that all stems from. Yeah, I I remember kind of growing up, you know, I played football, basketball. My brother was on the the team and, uh, you know, I mean, he'd go into a room and, you know, just everybody would gravitate to him. (laughs) You know, he had such a huge personality and and I kind of learned from that. You know, because I was kind of the quiet one, the middle child. And, and you know, through the years and everything, I kind of figured out, you know, if I was going to be successful, I had to kind of come out of my box just a little bit. And, you know, if you don't ask, you, you just never receive nothing, right? Right. So, you know, I just learned eventually I forced myself to come out of my shell and and ask and maneuver through life and do deals and everything started working out after that, you know, but I remember my brother playing football, basketball, you know, if I missed a tackle or anything, why he'd, man, he'd be on my butt like no other. So it just (laughs) made me be better. That's all. Right. That's what siblings are for. I feel like they definitely, sometimes it, it can seem like it's a little bit challenging. You know, you're always kind of competing with each other, but I think it comes out and makes you stronger. Yeah, exactly. You feel it at the time, but then after you kind of look back on it and stuff, that was big parts of developing yourself through your life, you know? Definitely. Um, Mike, if you could go back in time, and visit your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him? 
Well, you know, honestly, probably nothing because uh, I've lived a great life, you know, that I've chose my own path. I've had great opportunities in front of me and I've watched a lot of people grow and, uh, you know, we've accomplished amazing things for 40 years and I love the people and uh, absolutely love building companies and how you build companies, you build great people around them and your companies are going to succeed. And, you know, lastly, I just want everybody to know that I'm not done yet. I'm still enjoying business and enjoying life. So, no, and I think that's wonderful. So, just maybe a last few words. We'll kind of leave this as my last question for you. But, what advice would you give anyone listening who has a dream of being an entrepreneur and starting their own business? Because you've kind of gone about it in a bit of an untraditional way, but you have done such amazing things. Do you have any advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, Probably whatever you do, you got to love. Whatever industry you choose to get in, you got to make dang sure you love it. And you got to make sure you're so passionate about it, you cannot sleep. And then from there, you need to do a little bit of research because I had a few few duds early on in my life that didn't work out very good. So I would recommend that you do a little research on what you think you love and have passionate for and make sure that, you know, you're looking at the opportunity in that industry and you're looking out like, where's it going to be at in five years, 10 years, you know, to make sure that it fits your inspirations and goals in life. If it fits that, it it doesn't matter if you want to, you know, I mean, I've always looked at everybody's got to choose their own inspiration and goals in life. It doesn't matter if if you're going to be a trench digger, make damn sure you're the best trench digger out there. And if you look at look at whatever you do in life like that, you're going to do just fine. You can learn, but you know, I just want to leave it at this, you know, because so many things you can start out loving, but you can learn to hate it if, if it doesn't fit your, your inspiration and goals in life. So think it over real clear before you take off and then Go either work or get mentored from somebody that's really good at it. The best successful people, go learn from them because they've already made the mistakes that the beginners have. And it, it'll just save you a lot of time and headache not to stumble like sometimes I've had to or, or other entrepreneurs had to learning it the hard way. Right. Never well, be so stubborn you cannot learn. Right. That's great advice. Yeah, I still learn even to this day. You know, a lot of people think I'm stubborn, but I am not. I listen all the time and I learn from people. And, and I think that's that's the key to success because you don't know everything. Right. When I think... There's nothing wrong with being stubborn as long as, you know, you're not stubborn with everything. Like you said, being open to listening to others and knowing there's people with, you know, strengths that you don't have. I think that's just such a great formula. I think that you clearly has worked so well for you over the years and all of the companies that you've built and been involved in. And so I can't thank you enough because I wouldn't be sitting here in this chair interviewing you today and supporting my family if it wasn't for you, you know, starting Stanley Hay Company. So... Well, yeah, and and it's people like you that just make 
our jobs a lot easier too, you know. What one other thing I do want to add to that though is, you know, just don't worry about failure. We we all have that in our life, right? And it's a balancing act of just everybody's going to have a few failures, but you know, we're going to have several successes along with it. And the biggest key to success is just get started. You know, Mm -hmm. you got to start. If you don't, if you don't start, you're, you're never going to know where it takes you. Absolutely. And honestly, Mike, I don't know a single person that has been successful in their life that has not had failures. Cause I, I really don't, I don't think you can be successful without failures. I think that comes hand in hand because you learn from failures. Exactly. Failure is going to be there in all of our lives. You know, it just, you just got to make sure there's more successes than failures. That's all. Just don't do it again. Right? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Just, just don't repeat the same failure again and again, and you'll be just fine. Right. Uh, Mike, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I feel like I've gotten to know you a lot better and I feel like our listeners have really had the chance to get to know you a lot better. Um, all of our Stanley family, all of the people that buy our products that feed it to their animals. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for being on today and giving us a little bit more insight into, to who you are and, um, where this all came from. Well, I appreciate that, Katie. And it's people like you that come and do a professional job of of having a casual conversation that allows us to express our feelings in more of a personal way. And so it's people like you that help build companies. So I do appreciate that. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that very much. Um, Right before we go, I just want to tell our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode and getting to know uh, Mike a little bit better. Please share Beyond the Barn, the podcast with your friends and family. Um, Reach out to us at podcast at stanleyforge.com. If you have any feedback or if you have any topic ideas, things you want to learn about um, involving other species or with horses or just getting to know the people behind the brand and who comes and works every day. Their work ethic is there. They're there to create quality products for all of your animals um, that you can trust. So reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, we will catch you later. Thank you, Katie. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Barn podcast by Stanley Forage. We'd love for you to share our podcast with your favorite people and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. Until next time, keep your cinch tight and don't forget to turn off the water.